Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. We haven't met yet. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I'm glad that you're with us today. Beyond, extraordinary, no need, advantage, complete, abundant, full. Anyone want their life to be described that way? Like, I certainly do. And I I think you'd be lying to say you don't. I mean, we live in the great U.S. of A., do we not? Like, we dream of the cash to do whatever we want, whenever we want. The car that turns heads, the cabin in the mountains for a weekend getaway, in a career that's just ever progressing. The, the American dream compels all of us in one way or another. And our hope is that if we achieve it, if we achieve the American dream, just maybe they will accept us, our neighbors, friends, coworkers. That if if we can achieve this life that everyone's pursuing, others will accept us and maybe even approve of us. So here we are, seeking the American dream. And there's nothing wrong with cash, cars, cabins, career accolades. There's nothing wrong with these good things. But if we take even good things and we make them an ultimate thing, what we're doing is we're really setting up an idol. We're worshiping something other than God. And these things can actually blind us in our pursuit of full life. More doesn't equal full. More equals more. More debt to dig out of, more problems to manage, more maintenance to keep up with, more overtime at the office. The American dream says that full life is found by by running harder and achieving more. Now, if that's the case, then why do we feel more stressed and less present? more exhausted and less rejuvenated, more lonely and less connected, more empty and less full. If we just like flip the lights on, what we would see is that this race we've been running is actually a run on a treadmill. And essentially marketers are just pressing the up arrow faster, faster, faster with every billboard advertisement, web advertisement, commercial, more, more, more. And the, uh, the, the finish line of, of people accepting us and approving of us, that's a mirage because everyone else has been pinned to compete against us. That's how the game works. So we've tried America's formula for full life and some of us have realized it. Some of us are still in pursuit of it, but we've tried it and we're feeling less full and more empty. So what does God have to say about all this? Because the desire for a full life isn't a sinful desire. It's actually a holy desire. And and God's the author of life. And as the author of life, he knows how life is best lived. And he reveals the way in his word. We're going to take a look at that together today. Because in his graciousness, God reveals the way in Jesus. 
Now, who is Jesus? We've been in this series about him because there's this guy who started a grassroots movement, and it's now the world's largest religion. It, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, and Jesus is the hero. Who is this guy? I mean, many of us know what our parents and professors think, but who does Jesus say he is? That's why we're going through the Gospel of John to find out. Because you see, in the Gospel of John, John, one of Jesus's friends and followers, actually wrote down who Jesus said he is. Jesus made seven statements, seven I am statements, cl making claims about his identity. And we're going to actually see two of those claims today. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to John chapter 10? We're going to be verses 1 through 21. And we're going to see who Jesus says he is and what it has to do with us finding the full life that we've been after. If you're using a hard copy of the Bible, John's about three quarters of the way through. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. You can also follow along in the app and take notes there as well. Now, as you get to John 10, let me just remind us of what Blake shared last week from John 9, because it really sets the stage for what we're going to read today. In John 9, there was a man who was born blind and Jesus healed him. And in healing him physically, he was also revealing to others that some are spiritually blind. Like they don't, they don't see Jesus for who he really is. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were all bent out of shape about this because Jesus was essentially saying that the religious establishment was blind to God. You could see how that wouldn't go over very well. And to this very uh, frustrated divided audience even, Jesus gives the following figure of speech when the Pharisees just ask Jesus point blank, like, are you saying that we're blind too? Spiritually blind, they're talking about? But before we get into the story, would you pause with me? Would you pray? And let's ask that God would speak to us today. Lord, we come before you expectant to hear from you. We know that you're with us when, when two or three gather in your name. You're here with us. And we would ask that we'd encounter you, that we'd experience you, and that we would hear from you in a way that changes how we live this week, and maybe even the rest of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, picking up the story in John 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 to start. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So calling the Pharisees out on the mat, Jesus used this analogy of sheep and a shepherd to illustrate his point. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience with sheep amounts to smart wool socks. So I had to do a little research on sheep and shepherds and what that was all about, because this was actually a very normative thing in the ancient Near East. Here's a picture of what it might have looked like. Um, the, they didn't take this 2,000 years ago, obviously. They didn't hi have high-definition cameras then. But it's a good representation of what it might have looked like to be a, sh a shepherd caring for sheep. You see, sheep were used for wool, for milk, food, even sacrifices at the temple. 
And shepherds would watch over and care for their sheep because sheep are stupid and they're prone to wander off. They're defenseless against animals. Now, you see, a sheep could do those things, wander, do whatever it wants if it was like a lion, but it's not. It's a sheep. And it's helpless against wolves or really any threat to its life. Hence the shepherd. So 24-7, 365, the shepherd would watch over the sheep, care for the sheep. During the day, the shepherd brings the sheep to, uh, you know, land, grass to graze in, to water, to drink, etc. And then when nightfall comes, the shepherd would lead the sheep to a sheep pen. Picture a cave or a, a big stone wall with briars on top. The idea was we want to keep any wild animals, any thieves, anything of the like out. And then this is incredible. The, sheep, uh, the shepherd would literally lay across the front of the opening of the sheep pen, essentially saying, oh, you want to get to the sheep? You got to go through me first. Because the shepherd was all about his sheep. And, and the cool thing about sheep is that they actually recognize the voice of the shepherd. You see, in the morning when the shepherd would call out, to his sheep, only his sheep would come. Other shepherds might have brought their flock to be in the same sheep pen that night before, but only that shepherd's sheep would come when the shepherd called. How cool is that? All right, with this kind of working understanding of sheep and shepherds, what is Jesus getting at? Well, to find out, let's keep reading just a little bit more. Verse seven and following. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here we see the first of two I am statements that Jesus is going to make in the, the passage today. The first being, I am the gate. In this statement, Jesus claims to be the way into the sheep pen, the way into the life that he offers. There's no other way into the life Jesus offers except through him himself. But by the very nature of him saying this, he's excluding a lot of other options. He is the only way to salvation. And he's the, he's the bouncer at the door too, right? Saying, oh, you want to get to my followers? You got to come through me first. This is who Jesus is. He is the gate. And more than just wanting to keep his sheep safe and, and help them survive, he actually wants his sheep to thrive. He said it like this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So on one hand, the thief is looking to hijack the sheep. They're, they're, they're looking to use the sheep for selfish gain. In this analogy, the thief represents the Pharisees who, like the day before, cast out a guy who had been healed because he could now see, but Jesus did it on the Sabbath and they were questioning him and they didn't want anything to do with this guy because they wanted to maintain their squeaky clean appearance. That's what the religious wanted. They're kind of like a thief, exploiting others for selfish gain. Today, probably isn't going to look like that, but it might be the politician who you, markets the marginalized to get elected to office, or the boss who uses her employees or his employees to get his own or her own promotion or bonus. It could be uh, the parent who has kids just to help around the house. You think, 
oh, that doesn't happen. Let me tell you, I've heard someone actually say that. Okay, this is before Amanda and I even uh, had our first daughter, Hannah. We're actually at the hospital doing a, like a birthing class and the teacher just asked the logical question, what are you looking forward to when your kid arrives? Everyone kind of goes around the room, introduces themselves, shares the things you'd expect, cuddles, milestones, the whole deal. But there was one guy with not even a smirk on his face who said for him to help around the house. And I did everything I could not to burst out laughing because I hadn't held our daughter yet. I didn't know exactly what it meant to be a dad, but I had a feeling that guy's in for it. But that's the, that's the kind of person Jesus is getting at here. Someone who who's about others accomplishing things for themselves. Thieves are bullies. They're going to exploit others. They're going to use them. They're fakes, frauds. You got to watch out for them. And it's, it's kind of like a, a commercial that portrays this perfect life if you just wear Old Spice deodorant. Now, let me just tell you, if our problem could be solved by old spice deodorant. Gyms would be out of business and we would all look great at the pool. All right? But we all know that they're, they're selling us something, but we're, we're coming up short. Now, on the other hand, so we've got, we got the thieves over here, but on the other hand, Jesus, he's not trying to sell something. He's not trying to exploit anyone. Jesus isn't selling anything. He's, he's offering something. He's giving himself. He doesn't take, he gives. He doesn't seek personal gain. He's seeking, seeking the, the, the good of his sheep, the good of his flock, the good of us. And, and rather than, than just sucking the life out of people, what Jesus does is he breathes life into people. The, the word that's translated full in this passage, it could also be translated beyond, extraordinary, no need, advantage, complete, abundant. It's the life that that we want, the life that we're after. Jesus wants us to experience this life, but here's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't just provide a solution into this life. Jesus is the solution into the life. Because the life we're looking for, it doesn't come through you know, religious obedience to some set of process. Process doesn't get us into a relationship, a person does. And that's exactly what Jesus did, inviting us into a relationship with his Father. Jesus is the gate. He is the way to full life. And this is actually the, just the first claim he makes in this account. The second is this, I am the good shepherd. Verses 11 through 18, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So in contrast to the hired hand, who when the going gets tough, he gets going. He gets out of dodge. I mean, he, he doesn't want to be even close to this. 
because it could be tough. Jesus is the good shepherd. He never abandons us. Though we're prone to wander, could be venting about our boss to a coworker. Really, we're just gossiping. Could be wandering eyes online. Could be some fishy financial practice to try to get ahead or, or get on top. Maybe we, we sideline church to be on the sideline at the game. I don't know what it is, but we're prone to wander. But even when we wander, Jesus doesn't abandon us. He seeks us out because he loves us. And he wants us to experience life and life to the full. When Jesus claimed, I'm the good shepherd, it, it struck a chord like, like deep with the Pharisees because they knew the scriptures. They knew the Hebrew scripture. They had memorized it. And they knew what God said to his people in Ezekiel 34. Now, you probably don't have Ezekiel 34 memorized. I don't have it memorized, but his audience would have. So let me just read a portion of it so that we could understand a little bit of why they would be a little ticked about Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, 11 and following, it says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on, that day, on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and in the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed on a, in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then in verse 23 says this, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. When God gave this promise to Ezekiel, he was he was kind of refuting, he was calling out Israel's kings, who in ages past had used the influence God gave them, not for the good of God's people like they should have, but for selfish gain. Kind of like what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. They'd been given influence, but they were not using it for others' good, they were using it for their own personal gain. Well, in contrast to the political and the religious leaders, Jesus says, guys, I'm the good shepherd. I am God and I am Messiah. I'm the one that Ezekiel wrote about. That's who I am. Do you, do you, do you see it? That's, that's what the Pharisees would have been experiencing when Jesus claimed he was the good shepherd. And Because in doing this, what he was doing, he was putting himself in direct opposition to the religious leaders. They're looking for selfish gain. Here Jesus is looking to, to build others up. They're putting others down. He's building them up. There's a, there's a stark contrast between religion and Jesus and the relationship that he wants us to experience with him and his Father. As we pursue the full life today, you know, we can fall prey to what, what the Pharisees did, what the kings of Israel did in, in ages long ago. We could try to step on others to get ahead, 
We could twist things financially in hopes the IRS aren't going to you know, catch on. We can do different things in hopes of, of leveraging it so that it works out for us. We can do that. And you know, when, we, when we're pursuing the American dream and it feels so fleeting, it's tempting to do so. It's tempting to take a shortcut. But we got Jesus over here welcoming people into the sheep pen. He's laying himself down to lift others up. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the gate and the good shepherd. He is the way into the sheep pen, and then he sticks around to ensure that we experience the life that we long for. Full life is found not through our achievement. It's actually found through Jesus' achievement. He did the hard work so that we could have life with God. We don't have to earn our way. It's a gift he offers to us. And, and as an achiever myself, I got to tell you, there's, a, there's solace in relying on Jesus' achievement and not my own. Now, if you know me, you know I'm an achiever. Like, I don't have to convince you of that, but some of you, you don't know me. So here's just two quick stories. Like, this is, this is how messed up I am, all right? In high school, I ran cross country, not because I like running. To me, running feels like torture. I ran cross country because I was good and I wanted to be the best. In grad school, I took a three-year program and did it in two years. Do I love school? No, I don't love school. I hate homework. I do not love school. But I wanted the degree and the job it would get me. So I fast-tracked grad school. Whatever it is, these are, it doesn't matter. I'm always prone to, to, to lean towards more, faster, better. And as, a, as an addict for achievement, let me tell you, Jesus is real good. Because no matter effort, no matter trying, no matter running harder, is gonna get us into a relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, while Jesus offers this full life to us, we do have a choice to make. We, we see it in the passage, verses 19 through 21. The, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Seems to be a theme in Jesus' ministry. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It's a rhetorical question. No, of course they can't. So like Jesus' original audience, we have a choice to make. We can reject Jesus. That is a legitimate option. But know this, if you reject Jesus, he's going to reject you. And you're left with your best performance on your best day and your worst day. doesn't matter. It, anything that we do that... that is not righteous. It's, it, it's sinful. It's, it's the opposite of what God calls us to. It separates us from God. And we can't close that gap. Not on our own. But we can reject Jesus. And if we do, in the end, it's just going to tell you up front, it results in death and destruction. That's how the story ends. You might not like me for saying that, but it's, that's true. That's what Scripture teaches us. But here's the deal. Even between now and then, Life's not all that great when we're living this way. Pastor and author John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he describes our life apart from Jesus this way. If we're not living life with Jesus, not experiencing his way of life, here's what we can expect. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. 
The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless. And the cycle spirals out of control. Don't want an eternity apart from God. Don't want to have a life that's characterized by angst, anxiety, worry, stress, disillusionment, depression. Don't want to have that be your everyday here and now. Then don't reject Jesus. Instead, accept Jesus, as we see some do in the passage. It's the second response we see. While some disregarded Jesus, claiming, oh, he's just like a lunatic. There were others who accepted him, recognizing that he had authority, power that was not his own, that he was Lord. And as they accepted Jesus, we should accept Jesus too, because Jesus came to accept us. He came to accept you. Another time in Jesus' ministry, uh, he's talking to yet another divided audience, and he brings up shepherding again. And here's what he has to say in this parable. This is from Luke 15. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. And at times, his love appears reckless, leaving the 99 to find the one. Why would he do that? Because as Nate said, God loves everyone. And he wants a relationship with every one. He wants a relationship with you. We, we want full life. We want to experience the life that's been portrayed for us. We want to experience it all. And we've run on that treadmill. We know what it feels like to chase the American dream. And many of us, we're feeling more empty than we are full. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to run on that treadmill. Our whole lives, we've been sold something, a, a dream, but it actually feels like a nightmare. But Jesus isn't selling us anything. He's not trying to do that. He, he's offering us something. He's offering us someone, a relationship with him. And he's the one who connects us with God. So the question before us is, will you accept Jesus? He came for you. Will you accept him? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and do just that. Because for your sake, I really hope you choose Jesus. I really do, because the life with him, it's full, it's abundant, it's complete. It's beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And that full life, it's not found through our achievement in hoping that they will accept us. It's so much better than that. Full life is found through Jesus' achievement in our acceptance 
of him. John 10 closes with this, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. You know, we live in an area where many aren't just seeking the American dream. They've realized it. Like they've, this is the pinnacle. Like they've got it. They've, they've achieved it. And I say more power to them. Good for them. But what they're also real experiencing is that there's a shadow side to that. There's an emptiness to it. It doesn't fully satisfy like they'd always thought, like they'd been sold. So my prayer for you is that you would accept Jesus, that you would experience full life. And our prayer for the front range is that everyone, everyone who is far from God right now will have an opportunity to connect with him through Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? I want to give, we don't do this every week, but I want to give you an, an opportunity this week to respond and to receive Jesus. And, and it, you can say this in your, your own words. It's not like there's a special script or anything like that. That's, we're talking about a relationship. We're not talking about religion here. But if, if you want a relationship with Jesus, you want to accept him, I want to invite you to pray something like this to express that desire to him. God, thank you for your love. While I don't deserve it, you pour it out so generously. My, my sin keeps me from you. The mistakes I've made, the problems I've been a part of. But Jesus, your death on the cross forgives my sins. And I want to receive that forgiveness right here, right now. I believe that you're God. I believe that you are the way to full life in all that that entails. And I wanna experience that life with you. So here today, I choose to follow you. I ask that you'll give me opportunities to share of this love with others. In Jesus' name, amen.